Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had John Stark on the show, and he's a friend of mine. We're in the same mentorship group, and he brought a lot of interesting knowledge to this episode for those of you out there that have a bit of a higher risk tolerance. John invests in high, uh, heavy value add property, and, and what that means, or projects, I should, rather, what that means is that he takes properties that are in good neighborhoods but are a bit distressed or dilapidated, and he takes it down to the studs and puts a lot of time and effort and money into the project so that it comes back as a class A deal. So, you know, obviously there's a, a high return, high risk to those sorts of projects, and we delve really deep into that. So it was a great episode. How'd you feel about it, Dre? I felt great about it. We have been working quite a while, actually, to get John on the show. He's been extremely busy. He's a broker. That's his main W-2 job. And as you mentioned, I think what was unique about this show was taking it down to the studs, taking it down to the frames, value add. That concept is very popular in the multifamily space, but most people look for it for maybe a small lift, I would say, not as deep as John does, because he literally mentioned on the show looking for distressed multifamily assets, BC class, and taking them up in into eight neighborhoods, being investing in A and B class neighborhoods, but really raising that value that way for such a high return. So, and even the first deal he does, talking about that and all the lessons learned, all the obstacles that he faced with permitting and raising capital, and even just the, there was a single family home on a lot. And in the, in the bank, when they calculated everything with a single family home on that same lot as the multifamily, they wanted that as collateral too. And the single family home was being wasted. So they wanted to, there was no use for it. So they wanted to sell that and use the profits from that to pour back into the actual multifamily property. Uh, and then just the issues that they went with through the banking and how they figured that out because they wanted to count it as collateral. So if you want to get all those insights, especially when it comes to just being a deep multifamily value add and the, and the challenges and the rewards of it and the perspective and the advice, Stay tuned for this show. It's going to be a good one. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans, and I have my great co-host here, Ike Eke. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. But before I check in with Ike, I just want to give a few shout outs for a couple positive views that we've been receiving. We love all the support and the feedback that you all give on the website, multifamilybottasites.com, on Apple and on Spotify. So we got Tina Jim. She said, thank you for this great podcast. I've been a fan ever since I discovered you on podcast groups. Thinking of investing in real estate now seems like a very good idea. Thanks to both of you. Keep making episodes. Then we got something from Vargas. Always love listening to every podcast episode. Keep up the good work, Ike and Dre. From Diana, great topics. I'm on episode 10 now. Talk about bench listening, LOL. Keep it up. And from the last one was Nico. He says, a wealth of knowledge. This podcast provides an abundance of knowledge on real estate investing from numerous aspects that I'm neglected up until this point. If you want to hear what professionals in the industry are doing, this is the podcast you want to have your ears glued to. Dre and Ike ask great questions and are never hesitant to make sure listeners catching on these slices. All in all, I tune in every week and even listen to older episodes to make sure I'm not missing any pertinent info. 
Way to go, guys. Ike, how about that, man? Man, uh, it's it's tough to have a bad day when you hear something like that about, uh, you know, a show that you, you've put together with a partner. And, you know, although I, I hear it here and there when I'm, when I'm out networking or, you know, people reach out, it's, it's really cool to hear people that honestly don't really know who you are uh, on a personal basis still, you know, take out the time to, to comment and to congratulate you on the efforts that you have. And it's those sorts of things are, are what keep this whole thing going. So I really appreciate the kind words from those listeners out there. Um, and even those out there that didn't leave a comment and are thinking it, I appreciate you too. And I hope that you can, again, get a slice of knowledge from this, from this podcast that can help you and your family. So that's, that's just fantastic to hear. I couldn't say less. So why don't you uh, <laughs> introduce today's guest, brother? I will. I will. And this is a special one for me because because uh, John's a friend of mine and we're both in the same networking group. I'm sure we'll discuss it later in the show. But John Stark is here with us and he is a commercial real estate broker as well as a multifamily syndicator. And he has started Stark Capital back in January 2021. And his goal is to help his family, friends and his investors. And he's primarily in the in the Phoenix market, which is a, a booming market that I'm sure most of you out there that are listening to this show or are even tangentially associated with multifamily and real estate at large know how strong the Phoenix market is. So his insights will be extremely important to you, I would imagine. So with that said, John, welcome to the show. Let's let's tell the listeners about your background, how you got into real estate, where you are today and where you plan on going in the future. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It's been a long time in the making, um, but I'm glad we're finally able to make it happen. So, yeah, um, currently I'm a commercial real estate broker. You know, I focus on multifamily as well as industrial product type uh, acquisitions and dispositions, mainly in the North County San Diego market. But on the syndication side, uh, my business partner and I were focused on Phoenix. We have two properties out there and we're uh, underwriting numerous deals and trying to fill up the pipeline. But um, yeah, so far so good. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now today. You know, we can dive in a little bit to how I got started in real estate if you want, or, you know, wherever you yeah. want to take. Yeah. I, I, and, and, you know, we, we've had a number of, of guests who are both on the transactional side, you know, the brokerage side, as well as the investment side, uh, syndication side of, of, of the game. And I, I feel like a lot of people are interested in taking that route to get mm -hmm. into real estate. So if you could share a bit about how you got to the brokerage side and then you know made your way to investing, I think that'd be very helpful. Yeah, definitely. So like many people, well, I spent about you know far too long for me, but I was in the restaurant food and beverage industry ever since graduating college for almost till I was 30. So I didn't get into real estate until I was 30 years old. Um, I met someone who was a broker and the general manager of a a home buying company that had an office here in San Diego, but they're a nationwide company. They have about 15 offices. And so they're buying houses and essentially wholesaling them to fix and flip investors. So my first dab into real estate was helping these investors, you know, on the acquisition side, finding these distressed homes that are ideal and prime for fixing and flipping, building a network of investors, buyers, and, you know, turning around and selling those houses to them. Um, which I liked. It was great. You know, I had made more money in that first year of doing that than I had in any year in the restaurant business before <laughs> that. So it was exciting. But, you know, for me, I've always had 
bigger goals and aspirations of owning real estate? How do those people bridge that gap and get there? You know, I thought it was only the 1% and people who have friends and family who are already super wealthy. And it was the job that I had in this, you know, in the, in the wholesaling business was great and made a lot of money, but it wasn't fulfilling in the sense of, you know, I didn't want to be throwing out those yellow eye by house bandit, you know, bandit signs. And it, it was great. It's a good business model and you can make a lot of money doing it, but I had bigger goals and dreams. And then, you know, I met a hard money lender who used to work at Marcus and Millichap. And that's what kind of bridged my gap from single family fix and flip wholesaling houses into commercial real estate brokerage. Uh, in 2017, I got hired at Marcus and Millichap. Um, my mentor at the time was one of the top grossing, is still one of the top grossing office and industrial guys over at Marcus and Millichap. Great place to cut your teeth and learn from, you know, a ton of cold calling, prospecting, building your database, understanding the whole business and how you value commercial real estate. Um, so that was a great place to learn and cut my teeth, as I said. Um, I was there for about a year and a half. And then I transitioned to this other firm that I'm with now. It's called Void Real Estate. Um, we're a local Southern California, well, there's six or seven offices all throughout Southern California, but it has the benefits of having large market share, like a big company, but also the, the private smaller feel, you know, it's just a total, total company culture shift from Marcus and Millichap. And, you know, they, our company's broker owned as well. So a lot of the senior brokers in our firm have equity in the company and they encourage all their brokers to own real estate. So it's, it's just a great place to be right now. Actually, my managing director, my boss is invested in one of my deals. And so I have five other brokers from my office who are invested in the deal too and trying to, to build my network that way also. Um, so sorry if I'm going off on a tangent there, but that's kind of what bridged the gap from, you know, restaurant business to fixing and flipping houses, you know, wholesaling houses to those investors, to commercial brokerage, still in commercial brokerage now. Um, but at the time COVID started, you know, early 2020 is when I had a little time to just look and explore other things. You know, I've always listened to Grant Cardone and other podcasts on how people get into owning and operating real estate. And I came across a networking group, um, which I, that is how Ike and I met. It's uh, Jake and Gino, great guys. It's a great mastermind and networking group. And that's how I got my feet wet into the owner operator space, if you will. And that was a little over two years ago. And so that's kind of what held my hand and got me educated into making the step from not just transaction, but also on the equity side as well. Wow. Wow. Great story. And, and one of the pieces that was really interesting to me is the fact that not only is your company, you know, allowing you, I guess, for lack of better words, invest your time and money into real estate ventures that aren't necessarily attached to the company, but they're also supporting you um, with expertise and capital. Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty cool. It's really unique. And, and, you know, for those of you out there that are interested in getting to real estate, it, it may be worth exploring, you know, whether people around you either professionally or in your personal life are interested in real estate as well, because uh, we always say it's a team sport. If you can get people on your side as, you know, simply people that are investing passively in your deals or can actually contribute on the active side, even better. So, so that's, 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 that's really cool. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because at first I was really nervous and hesitant to even reach out and tell them about this. Cause it's like, okay, well shit, you got one foot out the door already. You know, are you really <laughs> going to be focusing on grinding and trying to do deals with me and our firm? So I was holding off a little bit on telling him, but once I, you know, opened the floodgates and 
started telling him about what I'm doing. He was extremely supportive, extremely excited about it. And he's like, dude, just so you know, I do the same kind of stuff on the side too. I have private equity partners and I'm looking to do these deals too. So now he's looking to me and asking me advice on who I use for my investor portal, how I set that up, how, you know, so he's really interested in learning a lot from me now, which I thought is cool. In addition to him investing in my deal and bringing some of the other fellow brokers into the deal. So like you said, it's a team sport and it's really cool that I have that support from my my day job because it kind of blends into my you know my side hustle if you will on the syndication side which is pretty cool yeah absolutely so 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 fast forwarding to you know current times you mentioned that um you have some you have property out in in arizona and i i know a lot about your investment style and, and the strategy you and your partner take towards these projects but i'd like you to sort of discuss wh what exactly you do because it's pretty unique in the the you know the value add components that you have and it'd be interesting for our audience to learn a little bit more about you know a little past value add a little a little more than your average value add deal so if, if you can tell us a little bit more about your strategy and how you go about investing in multifamily in the phoenix market yeah absolutely so uh, i'll take it back quickly to jake and gino communities how i actually met my business partner he is not a member of Jake and Gino, but he knows another member. And so when we were broken off in smaller accountability pods and I told him that I was interested in Phoenix, he's like, you got to meet this guy, Imani. He's awesome. He's hustling. He's killing it out in Phoenix. I think he just did a deal out there. And so we connected over lunch. He actually spent a lot of time in San Diego. He's born and raised in San Diego, but also lives out in Phoenix as well, too. Um, so him and I hit it off. We were underwriting deals. You know, we we came across off-market opportunity that uh, 26 units out in Phoenix, Central Phoenix. And so we were able to get that closed in April of last year. Um, and so our strategy is essentially really heavy value add. Um, I mean, we're looking for B and C class properties in A and B locations that can be, the appreciation can be rapidly forced. And you know, turn around where these, you know, and we can increase the rents drastically provided, you know, justified by providing an exceptional quality, quality of living and the type of renovations that a lot of people aren't doing. It's a riskier model, but it gave me a lot of positive reinforcements seeing the turnaround on my partner's first project. He syndicated a deal, similar location in Phoenix, 16 units, that they got for around 2.8, you know, they spent about 50,000 per door renovating it top of the nines. Um, and they were able to sell it in just two years flat. I know the market's in a different place right now, but they were able to double all their investors money in two years. I know that's not typical and that's not what we're promising people. Um, but I really was attracted and am attracted to that business model because it's providing a quality of living of these units that I would live in myself too. It's not just, lipstick on a pig and expecting to get a lot of, you know, extra and rent bumps. It's, you know, it's providing affordable A-class living that can compete with those brand new construction high rises where we're able to provide that level of living, that quality of living for a more affordable price. That's, that's interesting. And, and you, you, you know, you address the, the fact that it may be a bit more risky than your, your conventional, you know, value add deal or even buying a property that's already stabilized and ready to go but you know as people in finance would know and people that invest at large would know there's there's higher return to higher risk so mm -hmm. if you have a higher risk tolerance then it would make sense to be in a project like like these or, or in to right. invest in a project like this because 
there's the high return component to it. And if if you can, I'd I'd like to get a better understanding of how you and your partner mitigate some of the risks that go into, you know, the heavier value add, either by the underwriting or having a really, really good, um, you know, really, really good analysis of the construction costs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. How do you guys mitigate some of the risks that, that, you know, you face with these sorts of deals? Well, um, you know, it's difficult. It's calculated risk, but it's a lot of research. It's a lot of, you know, talking to other vendors in the market, getting proper bids, working with contractors that we've already worked with in the past. When my partner had on his first project, you know, he went through four different contractors to get the one that we have now. And he's been fantastic. And so we're using him as well on our on our second project, which is in Glendale, which we can go into as well. But mitigating risk is it's difficult, but again, it's a calculated risk. And when you're looking at comparable, truly comparable assets, it's making sure that you're confident in the in the market and talking to your property manager and finding out what they're leasing comparable units for in that market and in that style, you know, and when a lot of people aren't providing that level of finishes on the units or the exterior, it's really hard to compare it. However, um, the rent, the rent is there, you know, when, when you're seeing the rents in these properties and you're getting the Intel from people that are in the market daily, um, it really has more, you know, positive reinforcement. And another thing too, that just came to mind, sorry, is, is just controlling everything that you can control when you're doing quality work. It's not, just a dollar for dollar thing where if I spend $20, I'm going to get $20 more in rent. It's, it's a perceived value and emotional attachment too, but it's control. I mean, so we're, we're taking everything down to the studs. We're doing new roofs. We're doing new air conditioning. We're doing, you know, 50 to I'm embarrassed to say it, but almost 75,000 per unit in these renovations. And it's, but the product that we're delivering is nothing like anything else that's out there in the market other than brand new builds. And that kind of hedges us and gives us a little bit of comfort in the fact that there's no other product like this. And the demand is there. The rent growth is there. Employment, you know, employment growth, it's, it's a, a stable economy. And when, you're, and when you're providing that level of quality to your tenants, the demand is there and they're going to absorb it. So that's how we feel like regardless of interest rates, regardless of everything that happens, if the rent demand is still there and people are still looking to absorb the type of product that you're putting out, it's, you know, you, it mitigates the risk. It does. All right. We're going to move on to the second part of the show, the legacy round. So it's an open forum on your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investment network. So John, I'll leave up to leave it up to you. You can either pick one of the three or you can go round Robin and do all three. Okay. Um, I mean, it might be cliche, but I want to say that the, my favorite acquisition that changed the trajectory trajectory because it opened my eyes to the fact that it's possible is of course the first one. So the Mm -hmm. first deal that we got closed, I mean, it was kind of all hands on deck. Everyone wears multiple hats. We're still overcoming a lot of struggles and hurdles and obstacles. Um, but closing that first one is what made me realize that this is possible. And a lot of people do it. I'm, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. We're, um, we're delivering a quality product and we're, you know, we're figuring out exactly what we need to do to improve upon it for the next and develop you know, systems and processes. So taking down this first one for me was, it was great because 
helped me overcome a lot of limiting beliefs and made me really believe what's possible in this in this space. Um, but I can also shift gears too to the second one that we closed, which is in Glendale, Arizona, outside of Phoenix. Uh, it's a 45 unit deal that we we acquired for 167 a door, seven and a half million. Um, and our plan initially, and may still be, is to you know, take it down to the studs and do the same class A level renovation that we're doing on the other project. However, because it was essentially an acquisition bridge debt loan that helped us get into the property, but we have a $3 million construction renovation budget that's financed by the lender. And so anytime we draw upon that, obviously our debt service goes up and our property manager has been getting 15 applications a week for as is without touching the property and we're fully occupied and we're already below market. So mm -hmm. we're considering and what we've done so far is kind of just not disrupting the tenant income or, you know, not disrupting the property too much and start knocking down walls and evicting tenants and, you know, going balls to the wall, 50, $75,000 per unit in renovations. Yet, if we cannot spend that $3 million and just start with the exterior, you know, the curb appeal, new air conditioning, new roof, synthetic stucco, paint, whatever it is to make the property look spectacular from the exterior. If we don't have to disrupt the, the property and the existing, in, existing income too drastically right at first, we think that that's going to be ben more beneficial in the long term, at least for now. We're just, we're, we're kind of weighing our strategies on this property. Um, so I guess that's kind of where we're at. It's, it, it's adapted to markets and you know, adapting to change and what you need to do to be successful, most importantly for your investors. Um, so I know yeah. I was kind of going off on a tangent there, but that, that's, 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 that, that's really interesting. And, and I know, I know we got to move to the next segment, but th there's a incredible lesson in there, especially considering the economic times that we're in that are relatively uncertain in comparison to, you know, previous decades that it's, in, it's incredibly important to have multiple ways to do a deal if you're going to have risk baked into the deal. So in this scenario, you, you know, the, the risk that's baked into the deal is the large CapEx that you are planning on, you and your partner are planning on doing on it, on, on the property. But the, the risk mitigation, alluding to what we were discussing before, is that the, the property is in a prime location in a great market that has some of the fastest growing rents, uh, growing rents in the country. So if you were to, to do a regular value add as opposed to a heavy value add, the deal still works. Now that's not necessarily possible everywhere in, in the country, but it's definitely possible there. Um, and so with that being the case, that, that in and of itself is a mitigation of the overall risk of the deal because yeah. you have several ways you can do it. So that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. And I'm glad that you're able to, to bring that to our audience because that's, that's pretty illuminating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I wanted to touch, John, on a few points that you made about the first deal. You say you had a lot of ob obstacles that you are still dealing with currently. You mind talking about those? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, being my first deal uh, was my partner's second deal. This Glendale one, Glendale one is his third, my second. Uh, but on that first one for me, it's in uh, Central Phoenix. It, you know, a, a lot of struggles, even just from raising the capital from the beginning. Are we going to get to the finish line? You know, being 500,000 short right before a close of escrow or a week or two weeks out and being able to, 
scrape it together to make it happen. But from from the limiting beliefs of even raising all the capital, you know, it was a two and a half million dollar raise just to get the deal done, which we were able to do. But then from when we acquired it, it also came with a single family home on the neighboring parcel, which we and we actually ended up selling last year, a couple months later after we bought it. But and put all that money towards renovations, which was great. But lessons learned through, you know, that's collateral from the lender. We had to jump through hoops to be able to allow, let them release the collateral to be able to sell that house. So that whole process was one thing too. And then also from vacating tenants, we started, there's three buildings that are shaped like a horseshoe around the property. And we started, you know, there's eight units, 10 units and eight units. And so we started with the first phase of eight units, vacating them. And then start to do renovations on, you know, the, the vacated units and then move on to the second phase. And it ended up being difficult to make sure everyone was out, manage the whole process at the same time and simultaneously doing exterior renovations. So we, and I forgot to leave out the permitting issue. <laughs> we, um, our contractor, which we do love, and he, even though the drastic level of renovations that we're doing, felt confident that we did not need to permit all of these renovations. The only thing that set us off, which we needed to get permitting for, was the fact that we were putting in um, washer dryer in unit in every unit. Had we not needed to pre-plumb for all the, the ventilation, we wouldn't have need permitting. But one of the tenants was upset with all the construction going on, as you know, as a common theme in these issues. And we got red tagged. Long story short, we had to stop construction for three, almost four months. And um, yeah, once we picked back up, we're um, rocking and rolling again. But again, with the level of renovations that we're doing to this property, um, it's just been, it's, it's been a challenge, you know? And so that's just some to name a few. Um, but now, you know, external forces too, like once we're completely restabilized and finished and everything's done, where's the market going to be? You know, are we going to, we're lucky that all of the investors on this deal are just friends and family, true friends and like really close friends and family that they would be okay holding on to this property forever too. So, you know, that's another exit option too, although we would like to sell it and just get that full cycle of full cycle experience to be able to uh, build the track record and reputation. But yeah, there's multiple struggles and still ongoing challenges, but you know, the silver lining is that rent growth continues to grow. And what was our projections for pro forma a year ago have drastically gone up. And, you know, as long as we can control everything that we can control, like I said, um, it gives us the best chance at mitigating risk for when it's time to exit or refinance and hang on to it for a long period of time. Awesome. Well, we're going to move on to the last segment of the show, the Giordano round. As you know, this is the multifamily by the slice show. Giordano's is the number one pizza spot in Chicago, known for its thick, meaty slices of pizza that just give you a mouthful. So this round is going to be a series of questions between Ike and I asking you four questions. Each question is supposed to leave our listeners full of a mouthful of watery goodness knowledge. So the first question, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world, John, and want them to remember you by? I'm the true king of the north. Can I say that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the real John Stark, not John Snow. Um, you know, I would say I have no regrets, and, and everything that I did in this life was to was for my family, for my children and their future children, children and 
giving them the knowledge, the tools and the opportunities to, you know, create a true time freedom lifestyle and give them a, a better, more, uh, a better and a quicker chance of, you know, getting to all their dreams and, and, and happiness. So. Love it. Yes, that's it. Number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? I guess I, I kind of knew of it or just knew of the concept. I didn't know it was called house hacking, but I really wish I would have house hacked uh, in my early 20s. Or, you know, I remember when I was at San Francisco State, my parents and I were talking about, you know, getting their help to co-sign on a loan and, you know, buying a, a triplex or something and renting it out to other students. And that was 2009. Had we done that, that would have been a beautiful property. And I would have gotten to real estate a lot sooner. So I know that's, it's not necessarily something I didn't know about, but it's something I wish I would have taken action on a lot sooner, for sure. House hacking. It's a great strategy. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Well, you know, two of them are, are pretty stereotypical, but they are the most important facets of valuation. And that's, you know, the net operating income and the cap rate. Um, another one of my favorite would just be the gross potential income. I mean, just like any business sales is the wind beneath your sale. You know, I mean, that's everything that the income is everything. I mean, you can reverse engineer everything from there and operationally run your business well, including the property. But um, I would say those three things, the gross potential income, knowing that number, is it realistic? How are you going to get there? That's the top of the line. That's knowing how much this property can truly produce. And then, you know, your net operating income and your cap rate to determine that value at current or at you know pro forma when you sell the reversion cap so those are my my three favorite terms i would say number four education is critical in this business what books apps mastermind groups or podcasts would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in i know there's a lot of great masterminds out there um obviously you know we've mentioned and touched on jake and gino which is how you and i met they're a fantastic group um there's a lot of other ones out there too. I'm, I, I don't know them personally, but I know there's Good Egg Investments, who's Julie and um, Annie, I believe, and they have you know a really good platform and education for capital raising and syndication. I know there's a lot of big people out there who learn from them. Um, books, there's a ton of them out there. It just depends on which avenue you want to go. I mean, I think one of the first books I read was um, Brandon Turner's uh, book on rental property investing. That's just a really good foundational book to learn and get your you know, your feet wet and understanding leverage and buying rental property and where that can take you, uh, as well as Rich Dad, Poor Dad, of course. Um, and podcasts, you know, podcasts like this and networking with other people, success leaves clues. And, um, you know, you can learn more about what other people did and what they listened to, what they read and how they got where they are. Um, so, yeah, I think that's um, what I would say. How can multi-family about a slice listeners best get in touch with you? Uh, you can email me, John, J-O-N, at starkcap.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, stark.capital. Um, I'm on Facebook, John Stark, and LinkedIn. So uh, any of those. Or you can give me a call on my cell phone, 858-525-2446. I'm always open to chat real estate and talk to anyone. All right. Thank you again for John for coming on the show. I'm Dre Evans. I've got Ike AK Multifamily Bottle Slice Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another great episode. Check us out, multifamilybottleslice.com. Have a blessed day.